Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Are you justified in, in having a beer and all that stuff? Yeah, you probably are, but I'm not going to provide you an opportunity for it. Okay, that's called license, right? And our life groups, our, our small groups, we're not going to have wine tasting small groups. We're not going to provide these opportunities that maybe some other places do. That's called license. Nor are we going to like condemn you to hell because you enjoy a beer every so often. We don't make rules where there are no rules. But we also, we don't, we don't abuse grace. The Bible never tells us not to drink alcohol, although it does speak against getting drunk. As Pastor James will explain in today's message, there are plenty of faithful Christ followers that do have a drink every now and then, and that's fine. But in this area, as well as with many others, we need to be mindful of how we're affecting other believers. Are your actions encouraging someone who struggles with that substance or that activity? Is it worth compromising their spiritual health for your short-lived pleasure? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Titus chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, keep on looking. Jesus is his name. Uh, if you haven't met him, I'll gladly introduce you to him. Uh, he's the only perfect pastor, okay? So he's the good shepherd, and he is the, he's the perfect one. But a, an elder, 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 bishop, pastor, I mean, all these terms are interchangeable. They're all interchangeable. They essentially mean overseer. They, they mean the same thing, basically, okay? It all means the same thing. He says, an elder must live a blameless life, a life above reproach. It's kind of what it's saying there. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. What that's saying is like, he's got to be a good, godly man, not only at the pulpit, but in his house. Because if he's got all this together, but you go to his house, and it's just, it's, it's like little hellions running around all over. It's like, it's like chaos. Like, and he's just like, oh, I don't really, I never spend time here because I spend all my time at the church. Don't follow that guy. Don't follow that guy. He's not leading well. He's not qualified. He's not qualified. This does not mean that, like, you, you examine the lives. Number one, it's not your job to examine my kids' lives, number one. Please know that, okay? So being a pastor's kid, it's not that you guys do this. But being a pastor's kid, I, I can only imagine because I wasn't one, has to be one of the most difficult things ever. Because they live under a microscope that is an unjust microscope. Right? We know how that works sometimes. You're like, you're like, yeah, the pastor's good, but I mean, do you see what his kids are doing? You see what his kids are saying? All this stuff. It's like, that's not your business. That's not, so it's not saying like your kids have to be perfect little angels and and all that good stuff, or it's, that, it's the church's responsibility to like dig into the pastor's business. And No, it's like if he's, he should be leading well from the pulpit, but he also should be leading well at home. That's what it's saying, okay? So you've got to be a pastor, not only at the church, but you've got to be a pastor, a leader at the, at the house as well. That's what it's saying. Being faithful to his wife, okay? A man of one wife, essentially. 
right? That's, 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 that should be a, a good indicator as well. This also doesn't disqualify. I've, I've seen guys go through this. They've been married previously. And then they get divorced and then they, I've, I've actually talked to guys about this and, but I've seen this worked in, in other churches where it's like, oh, you're divorced. Well, you can't be a pastor here. But that's not what this is saying. That's not at all what this is saying. And unfortunately, sometimes we, we use, uh, wrong interpretations to really to discredit a bunch of just good qualified guys. Like, so you've been married before and, and all that. I don't know what the story is, but you know what? If there's, if your marriage ended in divorce and whatever, whose fault it was, there was repentance and you're walking in that repentance and then you get remarried, then okay, be faithful to that wife then. Like, yeah, that's this essentially what it's saying is like, be a godly man at the church, be a godly man at your home, lead your wife, lead your kids. Like, that's, that's what it's saying here. Um, I, it's just, it's a sad thing when I've talked to guys who are like, yeah, I'd like to serve at the church, but I'm divorced. I'm like, well, well, who told you you can't serve here? Who told you you can't serve at the church? Well, they bring up the scripture. I'm like, that's not, they need to do their homework then. Because that's not what this is saying. And, and even with pastors, it's like, okay, you got divorced. All right. Like, I don't know the story, but hopefully there was repentance and whatever was going on there, but... If you're remarried, then are you faithful to that one wife, to your wife, and be faithful to her? It, it's 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 amazing what we what we do to each other in the body of Christ, and probably most of eternity is going to be probably Jesus straightening us all out of like. Let me tell you how you got my word wrong. <laughs> let me you know this you know let's spend some time actually go let's go through the Bible together and uh, let me show you where you guys totally missed it. Maybe some points where you actually were, were, were killing it, but they just, they need to lead well. Okay. Elders, pastors, leaders at a church, overseers. I don't care what you call them. Um, ones who will be held accountable for this specific role that God has called them to do. They need to lead well. They need to lead well. A church leader, verse seven, or yours may say a bishop. But again, these, these terms are kind of interchangeable to a certain extent. Uh, New Living Translation just says a church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, right? If you're a short-fused guy, you need to you need to learn a lesson called meekness and humility before you serve in a church. Okay, that's just it. He must not be a heavy drinker. Okay, given over to alcohol, given over to wine, or, or to must not drink too much wine. You can't be a drunkard and be a servant or a leader at church. You can't be. You can't. Why? Because that's sin. <laughs> because getting drunk is sin, right? Ephesians chapter 5. Is it a sin to drink? It's not a sin to drink. It is a sin to become intoxicated. The moment when where that happens for you, if you drink and all that stuff... The moment you lose control of your mind and you have surrendered that over to alcohol, that's sin. You become intoxicated. We can break this down. We can get scientific on this, but you know what I'm talking about because we've all probably in this room, we've all to a certain extent, uh, know the effects of alcohol. Okay. I, if you don't know my deal, like I, I stay away from it. 
But I made that choice before I was a, before I was a Christian. I made that choice in high school. Junior high, it started for me. Early in high school, we'd, we'd, we were getting a hold of whatever we can get a hold of, whatever somebody could buy for us, and hitting all the college parties and doing all that stuff. For me, I saw it as like, I know where this path leads to. Because I don't, I don't have a dad in my life because alcohol was a part of that equation. So I knew what it was like to grow up like that. And that for whatever reason, and I really think it was the Lord early on for me, I think it was my sophomore year in high school, I made a conscious decision, I don't want to go down that road. So I'm, I'm just not going to drink anymore. And so that, for me, that was it. And then that was even, that was, so this isn't like a churchy thing for me. It never has been. It, it never has been. It's, it's been a DNA thing for me. Like knowing like, I probably have some tendencies inside of me, some addictive tendencies inside of me that I have to be cautious of. So I'm going to choose to, to lay that aside and, and I'm not... Do I have the freedom to do it? Some guys would say no. And then some guys in the church would say, yeah, James, you do. I choose not to. I choose not to because, well, that's my choice. My wife, she made the same decision because her grandmother passed away due to alcoholism. And so for her early on, she was like, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want my life to end that way. So I'm going to choose not to. You, if, if you have a drink, then, then have a drink. I'm, we, don't, we don't make rules where there are no rules, Okay. That's called legalism. But we also don't use license, right? Like, we're not going to have like a BYOB potluck here at the church, right? Like, we're not going to do that. Like, are, are you justified in, in having a beer and all that stuff? Yeah, you probably are, but I'm not going to provide you an opportunity for it. Okay, that's called license, right? And our life groups, our, our small groups, we're not going to have wine tasting small groups, I'm not going to provide these opportunities that maybe some other places do. That's called license. Nor are we going to like condemn you to hell because you enjoy a beer every so often. We don't make rules where there are no rules. But we also, we don't, we don't abuse grace. We don't abuse grace. So here's Paul just saying like the, a leader here, he can't be like, he must not be a heavy drinker. He can't be given, a, he can't be an alcoholic. He can't be. That's a disqualifying thing. You also can't be violent or dishonest with money. Please, just, I find it fascinating that there are certain groups and denominations that love to hone in on that drinking thing, but they totally ignore the anger thing. Like, yeah, I don't ever drink, but you're a jerk to your wife and your kids. And isn't that a sin? Like, you're mean. You're just a mean dude. But I don't drink. Okay. <laughs> what you? But you're mean. Like, like read your Bible. Like, don't stop there. They're like, check. Yeah, not not giving over to alcohol or whatever. Check. But does the work? Does does the rest of it? Is there evidence in your life for the rest of it? Or dishonest with money? Like. There, there's qualifications for being a leader within a church. And you can't just pick and choose which ones you're going to like excel at or major in and be like, well, you know, I'm good at this, but I'm not so great at that or whatever. It's, and you hear this argument quite often within the church of, well, I hear it from outsiders of the church who are like, 
and, and I don't know why it is, but alcohol really does seem to be the hot topic of the day, but, uh, and it has been for the past probably 10 or 15 years now, but I've heard from outsiders who did people who don't, they're, they, they're not Christians, they don't go to church, and then they, they laugh at this type of stuff because they're like, you know, you got your, you got your, your reverend or your pastor or preacher who's like, you know, yelling at the congregation for like, you know, the, the evils of alcohol. And this dude is like, you know, 450 pounds. He's like overweight. And they're like, but doesn't the Bible say something about gluttony? Like, like why, why are you beating up the congregation for this one thing? But yet you're like, you're over here and the world's watching. The world's watching. And so for us, it's like, if you're going to be a leader within the church, which again, the church needs godly men to step up and to lead. And it's not perfect men, but it is godly men, godly men who you got a wife, then you love your wife like Christ loved the church. If you got kids, then you lead your kids well, as well as you can. They have their own little minds and their hearts. They're going to make their own decisions. That's not on you. But how you lead them is completely on you. The church needs more of these guys. And, and, we're, not, and we're not given over to anything that's going to control me. If you're going to be filled with anything or controlled by anything, may it be the Holy Spirit, like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Right? Don't be drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Become intoxicated, quote unquote, your mind controlled by the Holy Spirit. So he's just laying this out. Paul's like, Titus, I, I left you there at Crete, man. You got to raise up these leaders. And here's what you're going to look for from, from some of these guys. Verse 8, he says, the flip side of that, uh, if, if you're looking for a leader, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be hospitable. He must love what is good, right? Love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life, devout and disciplined. Like you, you got structure in your life, and you, you know you're, you're disciplined. You, you, you kind of buffet the flesh, so to speak, as Paul would say. Like, yeah, I have fleshly tendencies and all that stuff, but man, I got to stay on top of those things. How do I stay on top of those things? Open up the Word, man. Spend time praying. Fast. Fasting is a great thing to do. It's a tremendous thing to do. There's like health benefits, like crazy, that come with fasting. But that's the best way to subdue your flesh and all those desires. Fast. You're like, man, I got this problem with lust. Fast. Like fast, fast from food. Do it for, you know, don't, don't go too crazy. If you're going to do like a 30 day plus, you got to talk to your doctor first, right? But like two weeks, man, give yourself two weeks. We're like, I'm not going to touch any food. Why? Because I'm going to, I'm going to show this flesh who's in charge. And it's going to scream and cry like a little baby, but I'm going to show it. Flesh, you're not in charge. Yeah, you have desires. Guess what? Those are there. They're not going to go away either. But we got to be disciplined, right? You have to be disciplined. So he goes on as part of that, the reason why. He must have a strong belief. This is verse 9. Strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Okay? You, you, you have to have a strong belief uh, in, in, in the word and in specifically the gospel message, you have to have a strong belief in that. You have to hold fast to this thing. You have to. Okay. He says, then he'll be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. 
This is why we need good, godly men in the church. Ones who, who take hold of the word, guys who are men of the word, who read this thing, who study this thing, who live this thing out. So that what? So that you can train other men to do the same thing. And then you can stand up to those knuckleheads who are going to show up in your life. And they're going to try to, not just try to teach you something contrary, but notice, if you notice the progression here, they will come, they're coming after the ones that you're discipling. They're coming after the ones that you're mentoring. So you, as like a, a little kind of shepherd, so to speak, you got to know how to defend the flock. you got to know how to defend the flock. And that's a, that's a major thing for us. That's why we need godly men within the church. Guys who know how to step up and defend the flock. Because I can promise you, there are people that walk through these doors that have ulterior motives in being here. They do. And they, they see life. And that's what we've been experiencing lately. Like, the room's filling up, and there's new people, and there's new people getting saved. The wolves are coming. The wolves are coming. And they may even be here on Sunday mornings. That's why you've got to have godly men, and I'm not discrediting women, but this is a men's Bible study. You have to have godly men who know how to look out for other people. Because those wolves may not approach you, but they will approach the ones that you're trying to pour your life into. They will do that. That's why we have to, we have, to have a firm grasp upon this word and know how to like invest it into other young men, but then also know how to come alongside them when some knucklehead steps in and tries to teach them something contrary and confront them in a godly way. Not a violent way. Not with arrogance or anything that we just read through, but with confidence. With confidence. Cowards will always back down from people who are confident. They always will. Right? You don't even have to be the biggest and baddest dude. If you're confident in who you are, and you step up to a bully, they will back down. And if anything, you get in a fight. And it doesn't matter what happens, but you stand firm for the truth. The bullies will run away because they're cowards in disguise is usually how that works. But Paul's saying, we got to stand firm. Man, we got to raise up men who can do these things. He says, um, you know, encouraging each other, wholesome teaching, opposing those uh, where they are wrong. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. These are the bad guys, okay? <laughs> useless talk. And their motive, their intent is to deceive others. He says this is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. This is the Jesus plus group. This is for anybody who says that Jesus is not enough. They say, yeah, you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but, but have you also done this? I'm sorry, but my Bible doesn't tell me I need anything else. It's just Jesus, Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Well, have you gotten, for them, it was these, these Jews who would come in, they're like, yeah, no, Jesus is great, but have you been circumcised? Well, I don't want to be circumcised, right? These guys were, I mean, it was all physical for these guys, and, you know, the, the main issue of circumcision was the heart. Um, but these guys are showing up to these, these Gentile believers, and they're like, yeah, Jesus, but you need this too. And Paul's like, you don't need anything else. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. But you've got to silence these guys. Let's get through this. He says they must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. 
and they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said this about them. The people of of Crete are all liars, beasts, or cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. That was one of their own prophets in Crete. Not like a good, like a gospel kind of prophet, but just one of their own prophets. Their teachers is like, all Cretes, Cretans are, they're this. He says, this is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Paul's like, shut them down. Shut them down. All right, so let's finish out this chapter one here with uh, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live or the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Uh, John Walvard in his uh, commentary on the New Testament speaks to this, um, you know, these commands that are in reference in chapter, uh, not chapter, but verse 14. Uh, would probably undoubtedly include uh, aesthetic rules concerning eating, drinking, and purification. And that um, Paul brings into the equation here, or, or part of this, this initial part of this letter, um, Jesus is teaching concerning purification. Uh, and, and John Walbert says, um, Paul set the matter straight by reminding his readers of the Lord's teachings that purification is largely a matter of internal rather than external. That's Mark 7.15 and Luke 11.39-41. Nothing outside can corrupt one who is internally pure, but someone who is in, internally impure corrupts all he touches. So what's on the inside eventually will work its way to the outside is what Walbert is saying here. The problem with the false teachers was that on the inside, in their minds and consciences, they were impure. And, and as a result of that, their impure interiors rendered them externally detestable, as, as uh, our scriptures say, detestable. They're disobedient. Um, they're unfit or disapproved uh, for doing anything good. So Paul is connecting um, theological error with moral deficiency um, concerning these false teachers that were circulating within the churches around this time. So he ends chapter one with that of just everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. If you're pure on the inside, then, you know, the, that purity will, will work its way out. Um, now, don't go crazy and assume that just because you're pure on the inside that you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, that is, that's not what, what Paul is referencing here at, here at all. Um, if you need a little uh, proof of that, just read the entire book of Romans and you'll see that uh, there's uh, uh, forgiveness and grace do not merit more sin within your life, okay? So, uh, and so, but you're just, the purity inside of you, should, it, it works its way out. It, it should be visible through your acts, actions and your deeds and all that. Impurity within those uh, will eventually reveal itself as well. You've 
been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're based out of Galveston, Texas, with the support of Calvary Galveston and listeners like you. We trust that what you heard in today's message stirred something inside of you. Titus is a short book of the Bible, but it really packs a punch. Something that's pinpointed in this book is the fact that Jesus came to earth as a human. So even though he's a part of the Trinity of God, he also was God incarnate. If this type of doctrine was under question, it's no wonder why Paul wrote to Titus to confirm and reassure that this important belief shouldn't be thrown out. It's a vital thing to remember nowadays as well. Nothing in the Bible should be disregarded or thrown out. It's all important. If you value these teachings and are interested in hearing them in person, then come join us on a Sunday morning. At Calvary Galveston, our atmosphere is simple, laid back, and uncomplicated. We just seek to magnify Jesus at all ages. To learn more about our ministry, we invite you to visit breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, why not discover more about the church and this ministry, as well as look for opportunities to partner with us. There's a Give tab that's easily accessible on our website if you feel led to support us in a financial way. We would also love your prayer support for this ministry. Pastor James is excited to share more thoughts with you in the coming study. Until then, stay rooted in the Word and be ready to hear more solid teachings right here on Bread for the Broken.